I get asked all the time, should I invest in single family? Should I invest in multifamily? Should I do small apartments? It depends on the market, right? Because in certain markets, you can get A, B tenants with small multifamily or large apartment buildings. But in other markets, that only option is C, D tenants, right? It depends a lot on the housing stock. It depends a lot about what that market delivers. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, it is a new year, and 2018 is going to be huge, and I'm glad you've all tuned in. And hopefully, you can take you learn from my incredible guests that I have on this show, and you can inspire you to go out and take massive amounts of action and get things done in 2018. This show is for anyone who wants to invest here in the United States, so make sure you buckle up and listen, because we have a cracking show for you today. You know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. If you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes. It's the easiest way to give back. And you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can also find this show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. But if you're listening to these shows through your ear holes and you want to see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests, please go over to my YouTube channel. You can find that over at ReedGoosens.com. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bree Schmidt. Bree is the managing broker of Second City Real Estate, a full-service brokerage firm working with new investors and seasoned investors looking to expand their knowledge of the industry and their portfolio. Bree utilizes her extensive knowledge of building and managing a portfolio to teach her clients about all aspects of buy and hold investing. Bree is also the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, a nonprofit educational summit for real estate investors. And Bree is also the president of turnkeyreviews.com, the one-stop shop for passive investing in real estate across the United States with over 100 providers in 25 cash flowing markets. It is the most comprehensive site for buying turnkey properties. Incredible introduction, but enough out of me. Let's get her out here. G'day, Bree. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing good. Thanks. How are you? Very, very well. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I was just saying before we, we hit record, it's been over a year since we've seen each other. We first saw each other back a year ago at Joe Felis's conference, right? We spoke on stage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I moderated your panel uh, yes. about international fundraising in exactly. Denver. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm t- you're on my show today to talk about all your background. So let's get straight into it. Rewind the clock. Take me back to when you've made your first ever dollar. Uh, the first dollar I made was at um, Dairy Queen, which is a uh, fast food ice cream shop um, in my hometown and just outside of Chicago. You know, my, my, my middle class parents um, were, you know, they, they made us earn our money, uh, but I was actually too young to work legally. Um, so my mom forged my birth certificate and made it that I was a year older so that I could start working at 14. Fantastic. Uh, and I worked 20 hours a week starting at the age of 14 and I haven't stopped since. Fantastic. That's 20 hours at Dairy Queen or you had it? Yeah. Across, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. At one point in high school, I had uh, two, I had two jobs uh-huh. where I each worked 20 hours a week because we were limited in how much we were allowed to work legally after a certain age. Um, and I remember actually the, the amount of hours you're allowed to work changes. Um, you can't start working until you're 15. And then you have to be 17 to work a certain amount of hours. And I remember being at my one job, it was actually at Whole Foods, which is a grocery chain. Um, and they all of a sudden realized that I was too young to be working that many hours. And they had to give me the weekend off until my birthday because I'd worked too many hours already. So, <laughs> Well, it sounds like you can juggle a lot and put a lot on your plate. So mm-hmm. walk me through now the journey. What, you know, how did you get into real estate investing from that time back in Dairy Queen working 40 hours a week to where you are today? It's an interesting story. I, you know, at 17, like I said, I, uh, I actually started in real estate when I was 17. Uh, my parents were getting divorced. We were selling our house and the real estate agent had been over you know, signing paperwork with my parents. 
And we just started getting to talking. And at the end of the conversation, she had told me like, you are destined to be a real estate agent. Like when do you, when do you turn 18? Um, and I was about to turn 18. And in my state, you had to be 21 to be licensed, but they had just changed that law from 18 to 21. So she tried getting me an exemption so I could be licensed at 18 and we didn't get that. So I worked for her on Sundays as an unlicensed assistant um, once a week until I was able to take my licensing course and get licensed when I turned 21. Um, so I quit, you know, I was, I had a really good job. Actually, I was a, a marketing supervisor for a national company at the age of 19. Um, so I've always been a very, very hard worker and I was making, you know, $50,000 a year at 20 years old, which is incredible. And I quit my job to do real estate full time. And I lasted about nine months. I absolutely hated it. Um, <laughs> and I quit. Um, I found it very, very hard, you know, with real estate, you are, you're advising a lot of people on the most important purchase of their life. Right. At 21, I found it really hard for people to trust me and to believe what I was saying. Um, I also found it really hard to, to resonate with people. Um, on the retail home buyer side, you know, it, it's about emotions. It needs to feel like home. And the, the clients I was dealing with, you know, were like, oh God, that paint color is awful. I don't want to buy it. And then I would come forward with like, hey, look, and like, here's a spreadsheet of the cost per square footage and how this price is a good investment. And like, we just were, were missing communication. Right. You know, they weren't hearing me. I wasn't hearing them. And I absolutely hated it. I never, ever thought I'd do it again. Um, I went into corporate advertising for almost a decade, but always just kept my license active, you know, is the what if, like maybe someday I'll do it. I've already gone through the schooling. You have to renew it every two years. It's a couple hours of continuing education. I'll just keep it there. Um, so it wasn't until 2011 um, that I decided to do my first purchase. Um, and my first purchase was uh, investment property. And it, again, it wasn't, it wasn't really intentional. Um, you know, I live in Chicago, so Chicago has a, uh, a housing stock that is, is quite unique. There's only a handful of cities in the United States that have our sort of housing stock okay. where about 70% of our houses are two to four unit apartment buildings. So it's a really dense urban environment. Um, and the single family housing stock in our market is about 15%, at least it was 10 years ago. Um, so a single family house will cost over $100,000 more than a similarly sized apartment building right next door because there's less inventory of single family houses. Mm -hmm. So at the time my, uh, my husband and I were about to get married, thinking about our future, you know, what we wanted. And so we decided to buy an apartment building that had a way that we could easily take out some doors and make it a big house someday. So that was the thought process as we'll buy apartment building when it's just the two of us as we grow into a family, we could deconvert the unit floor by floor and eventually make it a big single family house. Mm -hmm. um, turns out landlording wasn't that hard. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it just kind of like, I remember like it being, you know, about a year after we bought the building, uh, we had just experienced uh, a death in the family. Uh, my father had passed away and he had passed away the day before he retired. Um, like literally one day before he retired. And he had spent, you know, 25 years working for the post office. Um, he had been offered early retirement a few years before. He had turned it down. He always had said, you know, when, when you get married, I'll retire. When your brother graduates from grad school, I'll retire. And when I retire, I'm going to go to do this. And when I retire, I'm going to take off and go to Europe for three months. And then he got sick and died. And it really, like, it really just resonated with me as, you know, crap. Like I'm talking, you know, I'm 10 years into my career. I've worked my butt off to get to where I am with the intention that in my sixties, I would be able to retire right. and do all these cool things. But you know, life throws you a curveball. And what if you don't have that opportunity, you know, so how to kind of reshift my, my mindset and worked with the goal of, you know, what if I don't live past 50, right? What am I doing now in my life in my early thirties? to get me to a place that, you know, I get to do all that cool stuff um, right. and, and take the time off. So that's where real estate had kind of come into it. So at that point, it had been almost a year since we bought our first building. We hadn't really thought about, you know, being investors or building a portfolio, but it wasn't that hard. And it kind of, it was a light from above of, you know, hey, if we, if we plug away at this real estate thing, you know, that kind of solved our problem. 
right? right. We can build enough passive income uh, to live the life that we want to live. And that's what the last, you know, six years has been working towards. Fantastic. That's, wow. What can I say? From all the way from Dairy Queen all the way through to where you are now, the 10 years in corporate uh, advertising, hating your real estate uh, broker, uh, being a real estate agent at 21 years of age through to, you know, having the shining light from your passing of your father and my condolences, um, uh, you know, to, to, to having that realization that, yeah, you, you could be dead tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And, and, and could you look back on your life that what you work so hard for, you know, you and I both in terms of establishing a business and credibility and establishing a portfolio, but what's the why behind it? Right. You wrote, mm-hmm. you know, like, you're like, uh, I have nothing to show for it. I don't, haven't gone and traveled the world or whatever you, it might be. I haven't, you know, had grandkids or, whatever it might be. So it's very important um, for me personally, it sounds like for you that to get your lifestyle aligned with the goals in which you want to achieve in your life, right? Because it may, you may, it may be cut short at at a moment's notice. I mean, it was a, it was like a legit epiphany, you know, like, and it's like, I had, uh, I loved my job. Um, I had worked for a great company, um, but you know, and even so, so I started investing in 2011. I worked corporate until 2014. So I still continued to do both and built my portfolio on the side. Um, but I always tell the story of like, I, you know, I didn't think I was going to quit. My original goal was to buy enough properties, um, keep my job for the next 10, 15 years, pay off the properties. And then, you know, in my mid forties, I would have enough rental income from free and clear properties to be able to quit and do real estate. Um, that plan changed, but I remember the, I was at the airport with my boss. Um, so I used to travel all over the country for work. Um, we had a 6 a.m. flight from Chicago to Atlanta and then had to drive two and a half hours to our meeting to do a three-hour meeting to drive two and a half hours back to the airport <laughs> to fly home that night. So like we were at the airport, it was like 4.30 in the morning. And I remember like I was with my boss and I got a text alert from an uh, uh, airline website that round trip to Istanbul, Turkey was like $450. And like, that's been my, my bucket list city to visit. I look, I remember looking at my phone being like, Oh man, $450 to Istanbul. Like I'm booking my flight. And this was in April. And my boss was like, well, when are you going to go? I'm like, I don't know. I'll go next week. She's like, you can't, you've got this going on. And then she just started to go through like my schedule of like what big things I had or what big clients I had coming up. And then finally she was like, I think in October you can go for a long weekend. I remember like putting my phone down being like, this has got to change. Right. If, if I'm getting $450 trip to Istanbul, I should be able to just drop what I'm doing and go. Right. And that was really like the turning point of, okay, now I need to figure out, you know, how we're going to do this sooner, right? 15 years is too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when my portfolio, I said, I started to focus more on it, um, growing it. And, and I quit my job in July of that year. Right. Well, I think that you bring up some great points because a lot of people, and I'm sure you've experienced this when they've, when they've come to you for advice and they say, Hey Brie, you know, I want to get involved in real estate. And the unfortunate fact is that, and like myself, I was still involved in corporate for many, many years whilst trying to balance my business on the side. It's just what you have to do maybe to get Mm -hmm. started. It's not just turning on a light switch and oh my gosh, there's all this cash flow and it just happens. It takes years because you're establishing a business. A portfolio is establishing a business. But And real estate, you need money to be in, to do real estate. Right. You know, uh, you can't just, you know, you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to do this full time. I've got 10 grand and I'm going to retire. Like it doesn't work that way. It is a, it's a very capital intensive, um, but the, you know, the, the benefits obviously outweigh it. Uh, But it takes time. It takes time. It takes patience. It it takes time. But I I do like what you, the mindset, the mind shift change that you, you had at that airport, because I think having your boss just like ram stuff down your throat, like she knew your schedule better than you did. (laughs) Um, but having that mind shift change is so important. So talk to me about how you've established your business today in order for you to get up and do what you want. And I think, you know, the, where I'm going with this question is that a lot of people, a lot of business owners, I, I, when they get into their business, because it's their baby, it's like they've got their blinkers on as well. And they don't allow themselves the, the freedom, the mental freedom to check out or jump on a plane to Istanbul for two weeks, you know? So how have you set up your systems and your business in a way that you can allow yourself that freedom to get up and get those sweet $400 tickets to Istanbul? <laughs> uh, so that's a, a complex question, um, <laughs> especially for me. 
Um, and it's a, it's a question the the answer has evolved over time. That's right. my short answer. Right. So when I first started, you know, I started in the Chicago market. That's where I live. Um, bought one property, bought another property, bought another property. Um, at that point, you know, I, I had to decide, you know, what our game plan was. I said, my original game plan was to, to buy four or five properties, pay them off aggressively, and then, you know, eat my cake in 15 years. When that mind change happened, I decided to explore other markets. Um, so Chicago is a, a very balanced market. You know, properties are a few hundred thousand dollars. They will produce moderate cash flow, but there is uh, lots of appreciation potential in this market. Right. So it would cost uh, a lot of money to be able to supplement my income monthly based on just the cash flow because the cash flow numbers are again, they're they're average, average to low. What do you reckon? So, what, what, what do you reckon per door? Two hundred bucks a month? Uh, about yeah. So our properties are now you know depends on your down payment, right? Um, you know, properties are about half a million here um, to buy, you know, a nice three unit building that's in a good area, that's in good condition and it will bring in, you know, $4,500 a month in rent. Um, expenses. Yeah. Vacancy is really low. It's really easy to keep tenants in because you're dealing with an A, B type market. Mm -hmm. um, so I shifted and started growing my portfolio in Milwaukee, which is a, a cash flow based market. You know, in that kind of market, if you're buying, you know, that you can buy a, a duplex for $100,000 and it would bring in, you know, $1,600 a month in rent. But you have to also consider the fact that the expenses are higher, your turnover is higher, your vacancy is higher. So I invest in both markets. So my, my capital contributions are quite equal between the two markets. Mm -hmm. um, I've spent the same amount of money in the two markets. Um, but my, my long-term wealth gain comes from Chicago. Mm -hmm. A lot of the big plays that I've been able to make has been from cashing out the equity in Chicago. But my monthly income comes from Milwaukee. The business has evolved. So like the first, I started buying in Milwaukee in 2014. Um, you know, the first two years, was I was up there every week. It's an hour and a half drive one way for me. Up there every week, checking on things, acquiring buildings, putting in systems and processes. You know, and then now a few years later, I'm at the point where I only go up there once a quarter. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's shifted right from, you know, probably 20, 30 hours a week of work to 20, 30 hours a month of work. Mm -hmm. And, and that process is ongoing, right. And, and reevaluating, you know, what, where my, my time is spent, what I actually need to do physically, um, and, and how to improve on that. So the question, the original question was, how do I have the lifestyle that I have? Um, I actually own eight businesses, um, four different, four different areas of business, all related to real estate. But it's been a progression of, you know, if I'm going to take on a new business, I just took on a new business this year of what's my time commitment. You know, if I could spend three months really going at it and building it up and then building up the systems, then after that three months, what's my time commitment look like? Um, and that's how I evaluate new ventures to get involved with is, is what's my long-term ability to, to take vacations and do what I want. Right. Right. And I'm, and I'm sure it's an ever evolving, but you have the, um, the mindset at the, at the front of your mind to be flexible with your time. You know, yeah. one, one of my goals, you know, one of my wife and I is to be, you know, so flexible that we can spend three months a year, wherever the hell we want around the world. Yeah and still have our businesses keep going for us because we have internet and or we just have our systems in place, right? Yeah. And if you don't be intentional about the way in which you run your business and have the mindset of working towards that goal, yes, it mm -hmm. might be, as you say, three months or four months or six months of or two years of hard slog to get your systems up there, but always keeping the back of your mind. The reason I'm doing this is because I want to set up the systems in order to go and travel the world because travel is such an important thing for me as well. But I think you've got to have that as a, and be intentional about the way in which you establish your businesses. You do. You have to be very intentional. Um, and so like even, you know, no matter what I do, it's, it's always that it, in my mind, it's a short-term sacrifice, you know, right. um, Hey, this is the business venture I want to get involved with. Um, but what does that look like in five years? Right. Mm -hmm. And does that impact my ability to do the same thing, you know, leave for three months, and if there's no way that I think I can get my business to that point, I just won't do it. It's right. simple as that. Right. Um, so yeah, it's very intentional.
No, I, I think that's, that's incredible. So for all those people out there wanting to know a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of what you do and mm-hmm. you know, analyzing a market and all that sort of stuff, do you want to walk us through, uh, just think of your businesses, your business like a restaurant. Like what have you got to offer clients from the free stuff all the way through to the caviar and the, you know, the lobster um, when they come and want to work with you, Bree Schmidt? So I, I only work with clients. So, um, you know, I, I'm an investor myself. Uh, I have 31 properties, 92 units. Um, then I have turnkey-reviews.com, which is a website business that helps. Uh, it's almost like a Yelp type website for out-of-state investors. Um, it's a free website. It's intended to help people, you know, learn about markets or learn about providers by reading other people's experiences about it. Um, then I do the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, which is a three-day educational conference in Chicago about real estate. And then I own my own full-service brokerage company. Um, so the brokerage company is where I work with clients. And I work in a very specific area of Chicago. So I work in the same area that I've invested in. Um, and it's, you know, it's very consultative, I guess. Right. Uh, you have to understand that, you know, what works for me doesn't work for you. And I see my job as, as educating you on what this market delivers. Mm-hmm. I try to explain to you, like, I get questions all the time, like, hey, I want to invest here. You know, what do you suggest? And I respond with, I want a car. What do you suggest? <laughs> and then they'll start asking me, like, well, what kind of car do you want? Like, how many seats do you need? Like, what's your lifestyle? I'm like, that's my point. You right. know, you can't, you can't just come to me and say, I want a car and that your car and my car and everyone else's car is going to be the same, the mm-hmm. same desires, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's super personal. Um, so I work with clients to, to understand what they want, right? What kind of investor they want to be. Like I said, there's different markets, there's different goals, there's different strategies. And then I work with them to educate them on what this market delivers. You know, if you tell me that I'm just using an example, you know, I want a 10 cap and I have a hundred thousand dollar budget my response would be, this is just not the market for you. This market cannot deliver those sort of returns. Um, so I can, I can speak intelligently about certain markets that I know. I can speak intelligently about you know, different strategies within markets because you have to understand that you know, with, with different tenant classes, that's going to produce different results. Right. Right? And, and your time commitment involved with A class versus C class is going to be quite different. The way that you run your numbers with A class versus C class is going to be very different. So that's what I focus on is, is educating people about what my market can deliver, right? And seeing if it's a good fit because it's not a good fit for everyone. Yep. No, I think that's, that's incredible insight because uh, personally, I started out, I bought my first, my first ever property when I first moved to the United States was a triplex in upstate New York for 48,000 bucks. And I still, you know, being an Australian going, wow, you can get real estate for $48,000. Like in Australia, a down payment is 70 grand, (laughs) right? You know, and so coming into these markets, but it's understanding, like, I didn't understand when I first bought that house, that was like a class D plus, uh, you know, there's a drive by shooting and how that affected on paper. It looked bloody fantastic. That oh, yeah. Look at the 10 cap. I'm like, woohoo, you know, but then six months into it, there was a drive-by um, and, you know, we had to evict some of the tenants and then we didn't have two of the re- uh, units rented for many, you know, period of time. But it got me started uh, and it got me educated in terms of what you just said. Mm-hmm. What, type, what type of car do you want? You know, like, is it a beat up thing that's going to get you from A to B and maybe, you know, you have a little bit of more maintenance issues and it may not run all the time or do yeah. you want more of a, uh, you spend a bit more money and you get a more reliable car, but it's, you know, maybe not as much, as much cash flow because it's more reliable. And it's more of an uh, appreciation play, which is mm-hmm. sounds like you've got your foot in either court with in Milwaukee and in Chicago, which allows you to give your clients the best type of, um, I guess, in- insider experience in terms of what they want. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? That's exactly what it is. I've got, I have both portfolios, um, you know, and I've lived both portfolios for a few years. Um, you know, there it's, a, it's, it's like the Milwaukee, the cash flow market is so much stress, right? Like you got to understand, you know, I think your tolerance level, uh, adjusts, right? So like, you know, when my PM calls me about something at this point, if it's less than 10 grand, it's not even a blip on my radar. 
you know, because I've had so many bigger problems come down the road than $10,000 that I've had to deal with that 10 grand is like, you know, $5 to most people. Uh, but I've had to, my skin's had to toughen doing that. Right. Um, which one do I like, would I suggest going forward with if I had to do it all over again? I don't really know. Um, and that's the reality of it. Like they both have pros and cons. They're both, they can't compare them apples to apples. Um, they're really, really apples to oranges. And I think the big thing is people have this, I've got 50 grand, I can get started. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't necessarily know where or how much work it's going to be with the, with $50,000 to buy a $70,000 property, which could be more headache yeah. than going and getting a mortgage and buying a $150,000 property, mm -hmm. a bit less cash flow because obviously the, the, the ratio of down payment stuff. But again, working with someone like yourself, I think would be very insightful to understanding the two different markets are more of a higher tier class B, B plus A in Chicago mm -hmm. or the more C you know, down and dirty. Um, I'm assuming section eight, would, would that be correct? No, we actually don't have a lot of section eight. We accept section eight, but we just don't have any. Because um, I, I don't mean, I don't invest anywhere that I feel unsafe. So right. I, you know, I'm a girl. Um, <laughs> and when we started in Milwaukee, because I know you met, so learning a new market is, uh, it's something that takes time. Sure. Right. So this is how I decided to do Milwaukee. Um, I actually went to Milwaukee, Indianapolis, Kansas City, um, and looked at different markets. And I called three different real estate agents in each market and said to them, I'm going to invest half a million dollars. I want you to take me around for the day and show me if you had half a million dollars, where you would invest, what you would buy and why. Mm -hmm. Right. So I relied on the local experts to show me. And I got three different responses in each of the markets. And listen to them, like, right, spent the whole day with them, asking them questions, why this, why that, how are you doing this, how are you doing that? And I landed on Milwaukee out of those three. So that's hmm. how I found that market. Um, for me, it's Milwaukee is set up very similar to Chicago, where it's really dense and urban. Um, it's something that I understand. Um, I understand the people's need for public transportation and being close to downtown. That's how Chicago is. So that made me comfortable. But even in Milwaukee, there was three different markets. But the, I mean, it's blind luck that I remember going on a showing, it was for a three unit property um, and the agent walked in and, you know, the tenants were home and he started asking the tenants about how their kid's soccer game went, you know, and we went into the unit. It was really nice. I mean, it wasn't like granite stainless nice, but it was something that I would live in myself. And then we mm -hmm. went to the next unit and that unit was also really nice, something I would live in myself. Um, and then he started asking that tenant, you know, about their personal life. And so he knew his tenants, right? He provided a house that was good, clean, and he had good, clean tenants. Mm -hmm. So when we left that showing, I'd asked him like, you know, does this seller have any more properties? Like, I like the way this is set up, right? Um, and he had said, well, I'm actually the seller. Um, <laughs> I don't have any more properties, but I run my, my in-laws portfolio. And my mother-in-law has, you know, 20 properties in the area she's partially retired, she might consider selling. So I ended up buying my first set of properties from him and he came on board as my manager. So he helped me dictate the market, but his wife also was an investor. Um, she also was a licensed HVAC contractor. So she was the one that would come go to like do our properties if the heat went out or any of that. But she was this little five, two Barbie looking thing. You know, and the rule always was if he wouldn't send his wife there to repair a furnace, then I wasn't going to buy there. And that dictated, dictated pretty much the first year of our investing was, would you send your wife to this property at night to fix a broken furnace? And if he thought it wasn't an area that his wife would go, then I just wouldn't buy there. And until I learned the market and was able to make those decisions on my own, that was like our, our temperature gauge. I, I think you've summarized it fantastically well. Like just cold calling three brokers in three different markets and saying, I want to invest half a million bucks and see what their response is. What, what yeah. was the response between the three different markets? Do you know? You know yeah. I mean, they, they all had, um, so Indianapolis and Kansas city were much more uh, single family markets. Sure. Right. Then, you know, I get asked all the time, should I invest in single family? Should I invest in multifamily? Should I do small apartments? it depends on the market, right? Because in certain markets, you can get A, B tenants with small multifamily or large apartment buildings. But in other markets, that only option is C, D tenants. 
right? It depends a lot on the housing stock. It depends a lot about what that market delivers. Um, so again, it wasn't, I didn't think that Kansas City or Indianapolis provided bad investments, um, but I just felt more comfortable with how Milwaukee was set up from a, a city perspective. Um, you know, again, with it's, it's dense, it's got public transportation, um, you know, Chicago is a commuter city as well. People look for those sort of amenities. That's what I was comfortable with. Got it. And, and do, you, do you reduce the, the overall risk of being into um, triplex, for example, versus a single family? Does that help you sleep better at night because you have, you're reducing your risk across more units? Or did, um, you, did that really play into your, your decision at all? It provides more assurances, right? When you have a vacancy, it's only one third of the, the amount of, um, versus, you know, it being your whole kit and caboodle. But when, when you're investing in any sort of quote unquote cash flow market, um, I think it's super important to have scale. People don't realize that. So when I went, you know, I said I bought, I bought 18 properties in less than a year. Um, and so when I go buy properties after the deal is done, I always call the seller and ask them if I haven't met them before, I ask them why they sold. And a lot of the, the people I bought from were failed out of state investors. Hmm. And I would have a conversation with them about it. Like, Hey, listen, you know, the, I tell the story of that I bought this duplex um, on December 1st and the top floor was vacant. We bought it on a Monday and it was the middle of winter. Winter is always super hard to rent things out. We bought it on a Monday. We had already scheduled, my PM had already scheduled showings for that night. By Wednesday, we already had a lease. The tenant was moving in December 15th and we rented it for about $100 more than it was previously marketed for. So by the time I talked with that seller, right? I already had at least up and I was like, listen, like, why are you selling? You know, deal's done. So you might as well be honest with me at this point. And he's like, we almost had a file for bankruptcy. Hmm. I was like, why? He's like, that top floor unit has been vacant for seven months. Wow. And I'm like, I rented it out in two days and I got it rented out for a hundred dollars more. Well, the difference was as we got through this conversation with him was he only had three properties in the area. So to his property manager, he wasn't a priority. Right. Right. But when you have scale, you're a priority. So you better believe when I text my property manager and say, this needs to be what your number one focus is right now, they drop what they're doing and they do it. Mm -hmm. So, but when you're, you know, if I've got 90 something units in the area and you've got two and we both have a vacancy, right? Guess who's getting their unit rented out first? It's me. Right. And scale comes really into play with these cash flow markets, not only from a, a property management perspective, but also when things go bad, at least with my experience, right? When one tenant goes, all the tenants go, mm -hmm. right? And that property, when I look at my properties um, from a, a monthly perspective, right? They, when they downturn, they downturn, you know, and they will knock out, you know, there'll be six months of vacancy when we throw in the repairs and the cost of turnover, you know, I'm losing money on that property every month for six months. But when I've got 30 in the area, that one property downturn is a small blip or a small dip in my overall performance. Right. But if I only have three properties and one downturns, right, I don't have enough to pay my bills. Sure. So it, it, it's super important when you're dealing with any sort of cash flow market, um, when you start seeing returns that are too good to be true, A, they are too good to be true. Um, <laughs> it's not reality. But B, you have to have the scale, right? Because the, the ups and downs are, are really drastic. And without the scale, you are going to lose money. So what advice then do you have for people out of state and internationally? Because a lot of international people mm -hmm. listen to this show. In order one, you know, we go back to my comment I said earlier, which is like, I've got 50,000 bucks. Let's get started. It's like, you know, I had 50,000 bucks or 38,000 bucks and I got started and it wasn't the best. Like I was able to scale to about four properties, but in order, what you just said, I was also limited by how much money I had invested in that particular um, city. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have to those people? One, first and most, when you're looking for a market, and then two, how to establish that scale if you don't necessarily have the liquidity to do so? Um, if you don't have the liquidity to scale, then wait till you have the liquidity to scale. Um, that would be my advice, especially if you're dealing with, again, you know, in A, B type markets, right? Um, you don't need to scale. Um, but in anything where, you know, anything where you're, you're renting out units for less than a thousand dollars, I would say, um, kind of qualifies those, those markets or anything where 
there is, you know, a large majority of Section 8 or anything where you go on, um, you know, Trulia crime maps for anyone that's um, not local. Trulia, if you put in an address, it will show you a crime map mm-hmm. and it color codes it. And yep. you can go through and check, you know, what were the arrests, right? What was going on? So anything that is not green and truly a crime map, right? All those, all those indications are, all those things are indications of markets where, you know, if you're not going to be getting a B type tenants that stay for three to five years and your units rent out back to back. Um, if you're going to get involved in those sort of markets, wait till you have the scale. Um, that would be my advice, right? I know it's super hard. I always say my biggest problem is having money. Right. For most people, like men, people laugh, just like you, people laugh in my face. Like, what do you mean? Your biggest problem is having money. I'm like, because I'm an investor. Right. So money sitting in my bank account is awful to me. Right. It's not earning me any money. It drives mm-hmm. me crazy. And there's been a few times where, you know, I start getting a little, a little loose and fast with my wallet being like, Ooh, what can I do? What, what what's everyone else doing? Right. What's cool. Where can I make some money? And the reality is anything that's trendy, anything that's cool, I mean, like, it's not a solid investment and I have to bring myself back to reality of, listen, you've got to wait for the right deal. You've got to wait for the right, you know, the right investment. And so what my money is sitting there for a year earning, you know, 0.01%, that's still more than I'll make by putting it into a risky investment and losing money. Right. So I'd rather it sitting there and be uh, contained and Mm -hmm. preserved than make a bad investment decision and lose money. 100%. 100%. No, I think you gave some great advice just then for everyone who was just listening to recap is that I think if you're an international or out-of-state investor who is listening to this show and you're wanting to not invest in syndication but invest in your own portfolio and establish your own portfolio, it sounds, and I would agree with Bree, is that wait until either invest in a class A or class B plus market where you can have more of the appreciation play. And I think using that litmus test of a thousand dollars a month in rent is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then secondly, you know, people always want cash flow, cash flow, cash flow is king, blah, blah, blah. But if you don't have the systems in place and I I've learned from this because I didn't, and I was young when I first started, I didn't have the systems um, that you can get burned. Now I didn't lose any money in my portfolio, yeah. my small portfolio, but I didn't make a ton what I thought I was going to make on paper. Right. And that was probably but looking back on in retrospect, what you've just said is that you have got 90 properties in your local market. Your mm-hmm. property manager is on, on point with you. I had three. <laughs> yeah. You know. And I'm sure you experienced, you know, when, when one went bad, yep. like it was a huge hit to your, like, you know, how are you going to pay your bills? Right. How am I going to pay for this? Um, well, the, and- the, the, the one thing I'll say is that the, the, the thing that hobbled me and it was, it was a blessing in disguise I had to pay for my first triplex, which was the, the, the worst one, all cash because I was, an, I was international in the bank's eyes because I couldn't get any lo- like So it was actually the year of badness happened when I owned it all cash and then I got it stabilized again, pulled some money out, bought, put number deal number two, pulled some money out, bought deal number three. Yeah. And then I sold them all together. It was, so it wasn't, it wasn't as bad, but it was, I can understand your point, you know? And the other thing you have to think about too, um, so again, there's the... The, one of the solutions or one of the options for people is investing in turnkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got, I talk a lot about that. Um, I, I've interviewed turnkey buyers from all over the world. Um, and they all, it's all about who you're working with. Right. right? Um, so the other option, if you don't have the ability to scale your own portfolio and do it yourself is to go with a turnkey provider. And there are some, there are some good, there are some bad, mm-hmm. right? But you want to look for someone that got, has that scale in a market. If I was buying out of a market and I was looking to do turnkey is how many properties do you have in this zip code? Right? Because my all my properties in, in one zip code out of state. So whenever there's an issue, let's say a plumbing issue, my plumber is always in the area. He's always got work to do. He's always there, right? They they're able to scale. You can get that same sort of, of treatment um, with the right turnkey property, if they have the systems and processes in place and they have the scale in that same area, that's a way to kind of leverage things. Like I work with partners as well. Um, I have a few partners. They don't have the scale that I do, but they're able to leverage my scale. So my property manager sees our portfolio as a whole, mm-hmm. not just, you know, my one partner has one property with me. I can guarantee you if he bought that without me on his own, he would be seeing much different numbers, but he was able to essentially buy into my scale 
and we're able to leverage the the portfolio as a whole. That's also another option of working with someone. That's yeah, I think that's correct. Working with someone who's boots on the ground. I've talked about that many times for those international investors listening. Is that is exactly what Bree just said? Is if you are in the looking for a quote unquote turnkey or looking to establish your own portfolio, look to partner with someone boots on the ground who has scale already because mm-hmm. that is so important. If you have to cut them a part of the deal, that's all right because you're going. To, it's going to help you on the back end. Um, oh yeah because of just what you're buying into. You're buying into their systems and hopefully their systems are correct. And Bree, can you just mention your website again with the, uh, the turnkey reviews? Because I, uh, you, you brushed over it earlier and I just want to make yeah, sure everyone understands it. It's turnkey-reviews.com. Fantastic. Look, Bree, I want to you know start wrapping this show up, but one of the biggest things that I love talking about, I get excited about it and the juice is flowing, is the business ecosystems. And it sounds like with eight businesses, you've created what brokerage, investing, um, what was the other one? Uh, the turnkey uh, reviews and the turnkey summit. reviews, yeah. And the and the real estate summit. You have mm-hmm. the funnel established. Now it's taken. I'm, I'm assuming it didn't. That, that didn't happen overnight. But that has been. That's incredible. That's a really one feeds the other and it helps produce more opportunities within your business. And I love talking about business ecosystems because we all are in the business of creating portfolios, but mm-hmm. we're not always going to be acquiring. And we're not always going to have the opportunities to acquire. So what are the other things you can establish within real estate? Like you've, like you've established, there's a review website, you've got your brokerage company, and you've also now established your, um, your real estate summit. And that's only, they're the three, that's like the, the majority. And that's not even talking about real estate investing, right? That's, yeah. that's everything else outside of it. And so that still keeps the, the fees paid. That still keeps you going to Istanbul and going to the Greek mm-hmm. islands, right? But it's t- touch just a little bit about that. It, did you stumble into real estate, into ecosystems or was it just, you know, not having the blinkers on and going, Oh, there's an opportunity there to do something and make a little bit of money. Why not do it? Right. Uh, that's actually a really good question. So, uh, I quit my job right in 2014. It was 4th of July weekend, which is an American holiday. Um, it's, you know, the celebration of America and I, (laughs) I quit my job to, to run my portfolio full time. Right. Um, that's what I was going to do. And, I actually found out that because of the people that I put in place, I wasn't needed as much as I thought I was needed to run the portfolio. So after a few months, I realized like this is not a full-time job for me. So I was going to be one of those people that reads books at cafes during the week. You know, like that's how I envisioned my life, right? I'm just going to be sitting in a cafe at like noon on a Tuesday, reading a book and chilling. And then I realized I am just not that kind of person. Like <laughs> I go absolutely crazy. Um, so the other businesses have all come out of, of just boredom, to be honest. Um, so, you know, I've been licensed since 2004. It was now 2014. I had not taken on a client in nine years. Um, I'd only used my license to do my own, my own deals. And I was at a networking event and someone approached me of, hey, I'm having a really hard time finding someone that can teach me the basics of like how to run an analysis, how to look at properties. Like, would you mind helping me? And I was like, sure, I've got nothing to do. Like, and I am licensed to do this. Um, so that's how the brokerage started. It was like legit right. out of boredom. Um, and that business 2014, 2015 was very, very part-time. A few people would just approach me here and there. Um, and that's because my focus was in Milwaukee. So as my systems and processes in Milwaukee were fine-tuned and I was able to reduce the amount of hours I needed up there, I was able to allocate more hours to the brokerage business. So those kind of traded off, you know, as one slowed down from a time commitment, the other one increased. And now I'm working on the point of putting the system and processes in place for the brokerage that I can do the same thing, which is leave whenever I want. Um, Turnkey reviews came out of, um, so Chicago is a very hot, cold market. Um, our winters are completely dead. It's my vacation time. Like there's nothing for me to do with the brokerage. There's no properties in the market. And uh, Jay Heinrichs, who's also an investor, called me up in the middle of December. Was like, listen, you know, I'm sick of hearing all these people getting, you know, these horror stories of turnkey. Like, wouldn't it be great if there was a website where people can go and share their experiences and people can read about, like, hey, who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? I'm like, sure, I've got nothing to do. I'm I can learn to to code. <laughs> I can build a website and that's how turnkey reviews started Wow! Uh, was, you know, let's just create a place where again, you know, if we can prevent one person 
from losing money and by going with a bad turnkey provider, right? It's worth it for us. So it was over winter, you know, I, I learned to code, I built the website and boom, that was that. And then this year with the summit, same thing, it's winter in Chicago. You know, my, my Milwaukee portfolio again is, is running with management in place. We're, we've got our systems and processes in place. Um, my brokerage business, I probably work five hours a week because there's no properties to show. It's too mm -hmm. cold. We had a blizzard today. No one's going outside for like the next four days. And I had some time on my hands and we decided to, to do an educational conference um, for investors that want to learn about our market. I think in general, the biggest takeaway that I'm just, just, just hearing your story and is understanding, and I've talked about a lot about this on the show, everyone is standing on a mountain of value, right? Mm -hmm. And it's understanding what that value is. And, and when someone approached you and said, hey, Brie, I want you to teach me about, you know, I, I can't, I, there's no brokers in the markets who can teach me about investing, but also be a broker. Right. Mm -hmm. And that there is, is your ability in yourself to understand and identify those opportunities when they come to you and say, I've got to take them with two hands because I don't know where this is going to go, but it's something that I'm knowledgeable about and I can help others. And maybe I can make you know, a little bit of extra income again, whilst my portfolio is either running by itself or I'm not buying or I'm not needed as much. And I can create these other systems and businesses that can continue feeding the beast because being an entrepreneur is not about one source of income. It's about having multiple sources of income mm -hmm. and, and understanding what can feed one another to, you know, again, create the, uh, the, the, the empire, right? So. Of course. And I think that, um, I mean, I think I've done so well in my market uh, because I take a very educational approach right. to things, right? Um, my portfolio pays my monthly bills. Mm -hmm. So like last year I said, our winters are super slow. My brokerage business did not produce income for seven months, right? I didn't need once that, you know, in the middle of that, for some people, they need to make a sale to, to profit, to pay their bills. I don't, my portfolio handles that. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a position where I don't need to give someone bad advice, right? To make a buck. Um, and that's what my whole business has been built off of. So either the summit turnkey reviews, the brokerage, um, I host, I host educational seminars here in Chicago bi-monthly. It's all about education, right? And about right. learning what works for you and teaching you enough to make an informed decision, right? Do I profit from that or not? Doesn't matter. I don't care. I've had clients who I've worked with for over a year and then all of a sudden their priorities changed. They had a baby. They wanted to move out of state. I never made a dollar off of them. And they'll call me like, I feel so bad. I'm like, don't. You learned some things from me and that is enough, right? And, and I was able to teach you and that was enough. And it also goes back to your personal brand that is yeah. consistently evolving uh, because you are, you are putting the educational piece first. And yeah. it's not about you walking out with your hand out and saying, hey, pay me a thousand bucks. You know, I hate to, to, people like that. I hate it. <laughs> oh my God. I just had someone like, I, I wanted to, to start recording videos and doing a YouTube channel. So there's another investor I've known virtually for a few years. I reached out and said, Hey, can you talk, like, talk to me a little bit about how to do this? And their response was, what do I get out of it? Right. I, just, I didn't respond. Like what? I mean, <laughs> like, I want 15 minutes to ask you about like, Hey, like, what do I need to know when I'm looking for a camera? Right. You know, and if your first response is what monetary compensation am I getting out of taking this phone call? Like you are not someone that I ever want to work with or do business with because that is just an awful attitude to have. Hey, Brie, if you're, if you're wondering, I just bought the Logitech uh, HD okay. camera. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that free advice. The, the new light that I just bought and is really bright is this ring light. Uh, if you can see Oh, it. yeah. And, uh, so it goes on my computer. I record a lot of stuff there. So, and the, the next thing I need to get is a backdrop, right? And then yeah. you're done. So, yeah. and then I record on a uh, audio technician ATR mic. So awesome. Yep. <laughs> I just yep. answered it for you, right? So. But like how, I mean, come on, right? Like I just hate people like that. And in, I mean, it's in our business, right? It's hard. There's a lot of smooth talkers. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that, you know, uh, sell, sell their systems and programs, um, you know, for tens of thousands of dollars. And the reality is this, there's no way to get rich quick in real estate, right? Um, it is impossible, right? The only way to do that is by scamming other people. Um, right. so if someone wants to sell you something that sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true, right? It takes hard work. It takes time. It takes patience. 
Um, and it takes knowledge, right? Either you need to learn this business and learn what um, enough to make smart decisions, or you need to partner with someone that knows this business, right? Because there are plenty of passive options out there for people. Uh, but if, you know, if that person, they need to be able to provide referrals, right? References, um, you know, be able to, to not charge you upfront for a conversation. And if at, I always, I dictate everything by how I sleep at night, mm -hmm. right? So if I go to bed at night and I'm worried about something or maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, the answer is always no, right? If I'm concerned in the slightest about this decision, my answer needs to be no, right? Mm -hmm. I only involve myself in things that I am a hundred percent sure of. And I think working with, with partners, with investing, with whatever you do, right? If you are uncomfortable or if you're starting to second guess your decision, the answer should be no. Yep. No, I completely I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, Brie, I always like to end the show with giving you, or you giving me your top five investing tips. You ready to dive into it? Sure. What is the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so I'm unlike most people. Um, I do not get up at 4.30 in the morning. Uh -huh. I do not set an alarm. I wake up when my body wakes up. Um, so I'm not one of those go-getter people. Um, but I keep a weekly to-do list. So every morning I, I follow the getting things done method. I've been doing it for a few years. Um, every morning I, I keep my to-do list. It's organized by business. Right. And every morning I go through my to-do list and I highlight what needs to get done that day. Um, I turn off my phone. I turn off my, my, my emails. And I, if I, if I block off, let's say an hour to complete a task, that hour is me only focusing on that task. When I'm done with that task, then I open up my, my phone and my computer again. I go through my emails, whatever, my text messages. I add things to my to-do list, but I prioritize, right? What needs to get done at this moment. And then I focus hundred percent on that. Fantastic. I think it's really good, important journal. And it also gets it out of your head, right? Are you a digital yeah. or a book type of? Uh... I'm a book. Same here. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> like I even, even reading books, like I have two Kindles. Um, yeah. I just can't wrap my head around it. Like I have to write it down. I keep a, a old pen and paper notebook. One thing I started this year, um, it comes 7.30 at night. My phone goes onto airplane mode and it doesn't come yeah. on until 7 a.m. Yep. Um, yeah. With it's, it's hard, right? Uh, that's uh -huh. something that I've also done this year is to, to try to do that. Right. So, um, Sundays I don't work and after 7 PM, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you email me or you call me, right. And I've got nothing going on and it's a quick answer. I'll respond. If it's an emergency, I'll respond. But you know, if you send me like, Hey, I want to, you know, 10 million questions and it's going to take me uh, 30 minutes to respond to your email. It can, if it's not an emergency, it can wait till tomorrow right? Yep. That's my time with my family. Um, and people need to respect that. And if you don't respect my time, then we're not going to be working together. I'll be perfectly honest. hundred percent. It's establishing boundaries within your business and within yourself. And uh, I know as myself as an entrepreneur and looking back on 2016 and, and beyond, you know, before was that you got to put those boundaries in, otherwise you're mentally going to be stressed out and it just, you know, you don't enjoy the journey. So yeah, um, it goes to the lifestyle thing, right? right so exactly. my clients work with me because they want me to teach them to do what I've done. Right. So on the, on the upfront conversation about expectations, if I tell them is like, listen, if you want the freedom to be able to take off for a month, right. Or to do what you want to do, you've got to respect that I've already earned that freedom mm -hmm. and that that's how I run my business. So do not text me at 10 o'clock at night and then call me at eight o'clock in the morning asking why I have not responded. Right? <laughs> I've fired people. I have, I fired clients because of it. I'm like, listen, like this is my time. You got to respect it or not, you know? Fantastic. Who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Uh, that's a really hard question. Um, I guess the most influential, influential person would be my dad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, through him not being able to live the life that he had thought he was going to have. Um, but just of how he raised us, you know, he, he raised, my parents raised us to be very, um, you know, if you fall down, you can cry. Right. But when it stops hurting, stop crying. Mm -hmm. right? You can't blame other people for, for things that happen to you. Right. And the, the biggest lesson I've learned in my life is the only thing I can control is how I react to things. Right. right? 
shit's going to happen, right? I had a chick last year or two, yeah, a year and a half ago who took a five gallon gallon of gasoline to our garage and blew it up, right? <laughs> like no joke, blew up our garage, right? And we were underinsured. Um, we had to demo the garage. It cost us money. But at the end of the day, like, what am I going to do about it? It's already done, right? All I can do is react and control how I react to it, right? And deal with the, with the situation at hand. You know, me getting upset or crying or yelling or screaming is not going to change the fact that she blew up our garage already. Right. You know? um, and I think you've got to have that attitude going forward. And that's something I learned from my parents. I love that. Yeah, you, you are in control of your own uh, reactions, your own feelings, your own thoughts. And the way in which you respond to people in life, I think is very, very um, important because people will try and push your, 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 your triggers and your buttons, right? Oh, and yeah. Don't <laughs> give them the satisfaction of responding. Yeah. You want, right? It's like, of course, you want to throttle them and tell them they're P- POS, you know? <laughs> you <laughs> but know, you can't. Life's a lot happier um, when you don't stress about other people's crap. Right. You know, um, like I don't like when someone does something, even when someone does something malicious to me, I have to stop and realize that, Hey, I don't know what's going on in their personal life that is causing them to act that way. And the reality is I feel bad for them that they are acting like that, you know, from outside sources or whatever. And like, I am just lucky that I am a, an adult enough, mentally stable, you know, self-reflecting person that I recognize those things and that's not how I treat people. So I'm going to let it go and, and be move nice. On. Yeah. And move on. What's the most influential tool in your business? You'd have to have one, whether it be a phone, a piece of software, a person, <laughs> uh, uh, who's the most influential tool. There's so many. Um, I would, I would say my notebook, my, my pen and my paper and my to-do list right. um, that keeps me on track and it keeps me focused and uh that would be the most influential tool. I can't leave the house without it. Fantastic. And my phone, of course, but. <laughs> when, it's, when, it's, when it's turned on, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is the biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from your failure? Oh, God. I think the biggest failure, um, it, it wasn't, I was able to correct a lot of it. Um, but again, the biggest failure was, you know, getting too excited about being an investor, right? Again, when you have money, you're like, ooh, this is so great. Let me just do this. And um, that I, I went back to, I almost made a couple of, you know, who knows, I didn't make the decisions, but I said, I just remember being up at night being like, man, should I buy that property or not? You know, like, what if, what if I'm wrong or what, you know, I'm not in love with it. And at the end of the day, like I had to back out of a few contracts. I was like, you know what? Like if I'm not in love with it, if I'm not hundred percent sure I'm going to back out and who knows if that would have been good or bad in the long run. But again, it went back to how I sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm under the, the theory that every decision I've ever made in my life has been based on my gut instinct and what felt right to me. And if it blows up in my face, right, and it ends up being a terrible decision and it loses me money, at least I felt it was right and I made that decision based on my gut. And I can't blame myself, right, for, for trusting my gut. So that's, that's what I'll say. Fantastic. Brie, last question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to learn a little bit more about yourself, your business, uh, they're in Chicago. They want to say g'day. Where where can they go to do that? Sure. Uh, there's a few places. So you can um, see me on Bigger Pockets, uh, Bree Schmidt. Uh, I think my handle is Chicago Bree. Um, my brokerage website is Second City S E C O N D City R E dot com. Um, I do a lot. So I do a lot of educational. So I, I put up property examples, right? Uh, what you can find in this market, um, as well as educational videos. Um, and then if you want to see me in Chicago at the uh, real estate summit, it's midwestresummit.com. And that is May 11th through 13th in Chicago um, this summer. Fantastic. Well, Brie, I want to thank you so much for dropping in. I've taken so much away from this conversation. I think the biggest one was uh, when you are approached by someone and saying, you know, I want to get into real estate investing. What should I buy? And you, you respond with the, the car analogy. I think that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think also looking at the class D versus class A uh, investments for out-of-state investors or international investors, you know, if you want to start developing a portfolio, what is going to be the less headache? You talked about scale. And if you are going to go into the cash flowing markets for scale, 
you do need to have the capital there and or partner with someone who has the systems in place. If you're not on that side of the fence, I think the, the big takeaway is like maybe look for something in more of an appreciation market, you know, class B plus yeah. that you can take into a, into a higher class. So uh, did I leave anything out? No. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having, uh, for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed with some incredible advice and actionable steps. I hope you took some great takeaway nuggets out of that show. Make sure you check my website out at reedgoosens.com for a summary of today's conversation with Bree. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in. This because that's what we're all about here on this show is educating you guys to increase your financial cue about the benefits of investing here in the United States. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.